Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at Commonwealth Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, um, today we're going to continue on with our series. This is uh, us talking about the herbs in our home apothecary, uh, the ones that are on the shelf, because there's a bunch of others that are in the cabinets and things. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, today we have another fortunate pairing, I think, so thanks Alphabets, we appreciate you. Uh, today you brought together Asimum and Oenothera for us. That is Tulsi, or some people prefer the name Holy Basil, and Evening Primrose. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just, as you were inter introducing that and saying we're going to do this, and it's the beginning of January, well it's kind of the middle, I guess, of January 2023, so you know, the podcast service that we use sent out statistics and all this stuff. And when we first had the idea to, to do herbs on the shelf, we were like, oh, yeah, that'll be a great idea. That'll be a couple of months of, you know, <laughs> a, that's fantastic. Yeah. And it's actually, um, it, there's a lot of herbs on the shelf is what I'm trying to it's say. Been, it's been going for a minute. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, and we've had this happen a bunch of times where, you know, it just happens that a couple of herbs that go nicely together or that have some, some unifying feature or application or whatever, uh, turn up in the same episode. And, uh, that's going on today. You know, there's going to mm. be a lot of neurological and emotional health stuff in our discussion, I'm sure. Mm. Um, and I want to also just add that these two herbs are really nice together. You know, Tulsi tastes really good with evening primrose. They fit together they make a lot of sense as a pair. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh... It's a nice bit of alignment going on here today. Yeah, I like it. Before we get uh, started, though, we just want to make a reminder that if you like our podcast or if you enjoy this, then you'll probably really enjoy our online courses as well. Um, they're taught primarily by video, and they're designed for you to progress at your own pace, but to have a lot of support as you go along, so you're not just kind of out there on your own. Right. <clears throat> and since you like podcasts, you should also know that we provide MP3 versions of every video lesson in the courses. And that means that you can take them with you wherever you go, even if you go somewhere where there isn't cell service. That's yep. cool. <laughs> uh, just promise us that you won't spend too much time listening to us talk while you're out there in the wilderness. Go listen to the wilderness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> if you're out having a walk in the woods, listen to the woods. They yeah. have things to tell you. But if you're just like running around doing errands around town, mm -hmm. then, um, then probably listening to herbal studies is way more appealing than listening to cars honking and yeah. stuff like that. Safely, safely, I mean, you know, because you're driving. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you are a, a fan of the pod and you want to support our podcast, the best way to do that is to go and buy yourself some of our courses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can find everything we have at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Woo! Yeah. Okay, and then one last thing before we start, and you know what's going on here. This is the Reclaimer. This is where we remind you that we are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. So these discussions are for educational purposes only. We want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as an objective standard. It's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. So keep in mind that we're not attempting to present a single dogmatic right way that you should adhere to. Everyone's body is different. So the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some new information to think about and some ideas to research further. 
Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, and it doesn't mean that you're to blame for your current state of health, but it does mean that the final decision when you're considering any course of action, whether that was discussed on the internet or <laughs> prescribed by a physician, that's always your choice to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's start. Let's talk about Tulsi. Yes. You know, normally this is uh, the point in the episode where we say, oh, we're drinking tea today with with you know, whatever the herb we're talking about in it. And today we are not because very sadly we are out of Tulsi. I'm not even certain how that's possible. Um, but don't worry, we have some on the way. So (laughs) I'm, I, um, sometimes when you run out of a favorite herb, that's a time when it really becomes very apparent to you how important that herb is in your life. Um, and how much you really lean on that herb and the, and the things that that herb can do in your body. Um, and, and maybe, you know, you just drink it every day, so you don't really think about it. You're just like, ah, yeah, Tulsi, I like it. I drink it. It's great. But then when you don't have it for a little while, you're kind of like, wow, okay, now I'm very keenly aware all the things that Tulsi is really helping me manage in my mood, in my emotional state, in, you know, my energetic levels or like my energy levels to get things done in the day and, you know, my response to, um, stimuli right like something goes wrong and do i get really upset about it or do i kind of flow with it or or whatever um yeah so um so i think that is like maybe just a reminder that it's okay to run out of things sometimes (laughs) it can actually be really helpful to run out of things sometimes because it does help you really some sometimes you drink it all the time and and you you're just like "Eh." and then you stop drinking it and you're like oh i'm very aware of why this is so important in my life. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when that happens, we try to recreate that herb through formulating other herbs together. And um, way back uh, early in the podcast, I think it was like episode 30 or something like this, we... um, uh, We were out of chamomile. We were out of chamomile, (laughs) and we we did an episode where we tried to recreate chamomile um, with our our other plants. We also tried... We took a stab at at recreating Tulsi there as well. We did. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But the thing is that Tulsi has some very special actions that it's not the only plant that can do these things, but that it it does package it into a really nice um like sort of profile of a uh, portfolio of actions, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that everyone is so aware of the emotional health and the like mental health aspects of Tulsi that it's not like we're not going to talk about them, but I don't want to start with them today. I would really like to start with some of the other actions that don't get as much attention. Mm. Um, And so I'm going to start with circulatory stimulation because that is something that's very important in my body. I have a cold, damp, sluggish kind of lax constitution and um so what that means is that fluids mm, don't move as like enthusiastically in my body right i i don't have edema but i do have some varicose veins and i do have a tendency for water to just sort of get stuck in the lower part of my body and if i if I'm menstruating or if I haven't had a walk in a few days, then, then you know, just I can get I can get in the direction of a little bit of puffiness. Um, and so 
Yeah, and a little pressure, a little pain. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so normally when we think about circulatory stimulants, we're thinking about cayenne or ginger or prickly ash. You know, we're thinking about these really strong blood movers. Smack yourself with some fresh nettles. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's soak you in horseradish Birch juice, twigs. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. And um, Tulsi is not as strong as those, but it is consistent. And it is reliable. It is, mm. it is, it is absolutely moving fluids at a like steady pace through the body. Um, and so that is something that I really appreciate, but I also want to draw in the emotional health aspect. I, I cannot actually wait till the end. It's of, a parallel, right? And yeah. This, and this, we see, we see this a lot with, with all of the herbs we work with, that there's this parallel between the effect in your physicality and, and an effect in your emotionality, right? Like, okay, now say it again because I think it's that important. <laughs> yeah, yeah but there's, just... a, there's a parallel of effects, right? So with an herb like this where it's moving and circulating and brings things up to the surface and moves blood out to the periphery and... Uh, and back again. And... Yeah, yeah, and circulates it through. Um, there's the similar kind of movement, the similar kind of change happening in your emotional patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at some, like, older writing around Tulsi, you'll see things like, you, like you'll see references to things like stuck emotions, helps to move stuck emotions. Um, and that's not an unuseful statement. It's absolutely useful. I can think of lots of things that get stuck in my emotions. Um, like maybe you're crabby about something and you're very aware of how crabby you are and you're like, come on, come on, come on. I got to snap out of this. And it's just like not moving. Right. Like you're kind of stuck, you're stuck in the mud mm-hmm. about it. Um, but more modern writing about Tulsi would say that a little bit differently. And so instead it would say like to help in processing post-traumatic um, emotional states or to help, in pro- like processing is often the the word that's getting used there um, of emotions of experiences especially negative and traumatic ones that have a tendency to get stuck and then we get stuck in that space of trauma um, and kind of can't move past it so uh, you know very it's very much like the fluid exchange it's also like you know you can think about emotions as kind of fluid and helping those to keep moving. It's not fun to have traumatic experiences. I mean, that's kind of a stupid sentence to say. Um, it's like, Nobody it, wants this to happen. Nobody wants it to happen. It's going to happen it's for go- essentially yeah. all of us. I mean, like if you think throughout qual of history, like traumatic experiences is in, in one way, kind of part of human experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it leads to many other parts of human experience that might feel more positive, but like, there's no need to give comfort unless somebody's upset. There's no need to help people heal unless they've been harmed, you know? like, And, right. and those, those, those things where we're doing the repair and the recovery work and we're, we're taking care of each other, like, sometimes those are, those are your most positive memories. Sometimes mm-hmm. those are really good experiences that rekindle your, your delight in other humans and your, you know, your faith in humanity is <laughs> possibly worth saving after all. Right, <laughs> and Stuff right, right. like that, right? So I'm not trying to put too much of a silver lining on trauma because, of course, um, like as a person who's experienced a lot of violent trauma and um, like I I, obviously 
that's that's not super helpful. Just be like, oh, but there was good stuff. And it's like, no, that's that's not helpful. But um, it is helpful to me often to recognize that um, trauma is not like it's not only something that I have gone through that I'm somehow like broken or or whatever, but that that trauma has been part of the human experience all along and that we also have these plants that we are in relationship with really, truly important, deep relationships with um, that assist us in processing that trauma. And if you, um, you know, Tulsi now is naturalized in, in North America and there are some species that grow mm, better in different regions of the country, but, you know, we, we grow it all over the U.S., but Tulsi is, um, like originally it's, uh, like traditional relationship is in India or comes out of that region. And if you talk to basically any person from India, even a person who doesn't have a strong affinity for herbalism and really was never into that kind of thing or whatever, like I've never met somebody who didn't know about Tulsi and almost every family has Tulsi growing in their home or in their, like in the garden outside their home. And it is like such a critically important plant in their culture. And that I think is really like, um, instructive in like, when I'm thinking about trauma and processing trauma and finding assistance in that work. And then I look at, like this plant and where it comes from, the people have such an intensely integrated relationship with it. It is integrated into their entire culture. It is integrated into every family's life. And and so that kind of helps me to feel not alone in that emotional work that needs to be done, not alone in the present, but also not alone through the history of humanity in general. Mm. Um, I hope that I, like, have that all made sense? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it made sense to me, so probably, you know, some of our listeners. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about how uh, you're talking about processing. You're talking about transformation. And that was making me think, again about getting back to some fundamentals with this herb this is a digestive plant right Mm -hmm. so we see these parallels between moving your blood and stirring things up and circulating stagnant fluids in your emotional state we also see connections between helping you to process food helping you to take things apart and break them down and keep the useful stuff and get rid of what you don't need Mm. that sounds pretty emotional work doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it is because it is you know and of course there are connections between if your digestion is off stuck, sluggish, stagnant, crampy, bloated, whatever, then you're going to feel not so great that day. You're probably not going to be in the best possible mood. Uh, it's it's likely that any grumpiness you were already feeling may be exacerbated mm-hmm. by that, right? <laughs> so um, digestive herbs uh, should never be discounted when we're talking about emotional support. But there are so many plants like chamomile, you know, and like basil and like holy basil especially that are operating in this place uh, where they touch both the digestive and the nervous systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about sage in that regard also. And mm-hmm. like that actually would be a lovely formula, chamomile, tulsi and sage. That would be really, really, mm-hmm. really, really nice. 
Yeah, or catnip. It would taste good. It would, um, yeah. And and like you know, we would differentiate if it was chamomile, tulsi, and sage. That would be a person who was um, very overwhelmed in the head, and like you're trying to hold a to do list in your head, and you want to cram one more thing onto it, and it feels like it's going to fall out of your head. Like the, those feelings of overwhelm are really, really in your in your top part of you Mm. um and that may be having digestive implications but like the the sort of mental pattern is really up and then i would say if it was chamomile tulsi and catnip that would be you're feeling the kind of overwhelm that is giving you butterflies in the stomach and like or maybe fear or anxiety that's rising up from the stomach like fear that you're not going to be able to handle it or anxiety that something's going to go wrong or something like that um that's how i would differentiate those yeah 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 well we could also comment perhaps that um many of the things that we enjoy about tulsi about holy basil we can also find them from garden basil Mm -hmm. and other kinds of of awesome species out there as well right so we can let um when we when we talk about these botanically you know tulsi we're in the habit of calling it awesome sanctum uh, it's considered an, an out-of-date name now. Ah, we're supposed to call it Asimum tenuiflorum now instead. Um, I just, man, pl- I, when plants get reclassified. Yeah, I, I like that it has sanctum right in there, that it has that call out to the to the, the spiritual in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty cool. And then, you know, garden basil, that's Asimum basilicum. And I guess that's got a reference in it back to like kings and churches and that kind of thing. Well... I I think of basilicum or basilica in term of like East Eastern Orthodox mm-hmm. um, terminology. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how the Latin breaks but, down that. But at any rate, yes, like definitely, I still a like spiritual spirituality kind of reference. Yeah. yeah. And then there's this other one that sometimes is called African basil, Asimum gratissimum, um, and I've seen that being the species that was sold as. Holy basil, at least a couple of times. Uh, is that grateful basil? Is that how? It could be like grass-like basil, perhaps, because sometimes gratissimum is like grass-leaved yeah. or something like this. I'm just thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going with grateful basil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also want to make a call out to Thai basil. Yeah. Um, because that is a basil that, and I don't, I don't know the the species name for that one. It might be a different. Yeah. Um, but. That is a another plant that people um, might have experience with because maybe you go and eat Thai food or something. That might be where you are coming across it. And, you know, it, it is a garden basil kind of plant in terms of, you know, you put it in the dinner. But I find it a little spicier, a little more in the Tulsi direction. Mm. And uh, all of these are going to be relevant in terms of the general actions of basils across the board. Tulsi is not the only basil that can support you in your emotional health, that can help you move through difficult times, that can also help you digest difficult meals or difficult emotions or whatever else. Um, actually, all of the basils can do that. All of the basils help with that. And 
Um, so if you're looking for a mood boost and you, like us, are out of, you like we are out of Tulsi <laughs> right now, um, you can probably find basil of, of whatever variety, right? Um, regular garden basil, Thai basil, African basil, whatever, um, at your grocery store. And don't discount that. It's quite potent. It's quite effective. Yeah. Yeah, particularly in terms of the aromatic elements, right? That helps with the circulation, that helps with digestive relaxation, that helps with altering your, your mental and emotional state. The question that usually comes up in this in this area is like, okay, but Tulsi is an adaptogen, so are all of the basils adaptogenic? Hmm. Maybe. Let's ask the judges. I don't know. Have Everybody they... hold up your cards. <laughs> <laughs> Have they... Like, I, I guess I haven't seen data on whether or not that has actually been studied. I don't feel like this is an answered question right now. Yeah. Um, I think that there are there are some some sensorial differences between them. But that, that question is one that you need to answer through, like, time. You need to say, mm-hmm. like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to, ideally, we would set up a whole experiment, right? And we would give some people some other aromatic, and we would give you garden basil, and we would give you Tulsi, and we would, like, track you for... Let's give it six months. Why not? You know, in my mm-hmm. imaginary world, when I get to design studies, and then <laughs> uh, you know, we'll we'll see how how much you uh, rate your experience of stress on a on a daily basis throughout that entire time, and you know, try to see if the folks who take the Tulsi are substantially less stressed out than others. That might be kind of good. Yeah. But until we have something like that, I think it's I think it's an open question. Um, I I think it's also worth noting that the plants in the category adaptogens there are very specific actions that they are looking for to classify a plant into that category yeah where, where they is really any number of a bunch of different groups of people mm-hmm. and they all might have their own criteria for what counts as a true adaptogen or not right yeah however all of the plants that have really ever been considered are not common plants like that this is work that was done by um, men, by scientists, by um, people trying to encourage profit. Like I'm trying to make a category of people here. Um, and, and originally that was how they were going about finding these herbs that was their goal in studying these kinds of effects not necessarily profit through selling that plant but like hey if we can make our workers 10 times more productive then that will be you know right 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 if we can make our workers work harder with less input um and less resources yeah food and sleep yeah primarily food and sleep yeah Mm -hmm. um then uh then we'll make more money that was that was the original goal in identifying adaptogens. And so um, the plants that have been studied tend to be the like impressive plants, the plants that seem powerful, and people have not really studied nettle, you know, like boring plants like kitchen plants with like the same, with the same goals in mind and uh, the same determination yeah right like mm-hmm. women's medicine or like you know like family medicine or whatever like oh no that's just what you do in your kitchen that can't be strong enough to get us more profits you know like whatever um so uh so i don't even know if they've looked at basils 
Yeah. Like the rest of the basils. <clears throat> right. For, for, some of the, for some of these definitions, it would be like it has to have an activity on, you know, one or more of the organs in the HPA axis. And uh, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the other basils do have some degree of action there. And then mm-hmm. people are going to start arguing about whether that type of action counts or that degree of activity right. counts or whatever. And we can do that all day. That's fine. Right. But, you know, um, a lot of that, a lot, a lot of the benefit on, you know, structures in your brain, for instance, is going to be gotten just by improving blood circulation up to there. Mm-hmm. And um, Tulsi, we were talking about circulation throughout the system, but it does have an upward movement to it. And that's, yeah. that's one of the reasons we often like to pair it together with things like rosemary um, or ginkgo for that matter. Uh, when people are feeling the brain fog, uh, mm-hmm. you want something to kind of rise up and cut through. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these aromatic herbs are really good for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I feel like, um, if I'm going to have a kind of theme with Tulsi or kind of like a, a motto or some way to remember it, um, I, it would be like maybe this too shall pass. Um, and that is true. Like, you know, Tulsi does help things to pass. But also um, whenever I say that phrase, I, I remember um, being a freshman in high school and our our vice principal, who was really nice, um, at that school, you know, there's always like the vice principal who is in charge of like, discipline and that that person's always everybody thinks that they're not very nice and then you like it doesn't matter what they really are just you know you're you're 15 years old so you have opinions about whatever and then there's the one that's like in charge of like student welfare or something and everybody thinks that person is really nice okay well whatever it was that person and she stood up and there were like you know a couple hundred of us like all sitting together like huddled like oh no high school is scary and she stood up there and she's like listen the only thing you really need to know is that a lot of things are going to happen and some of them will be very fun and some of them will be very fun, but this too shall pass. Like when bad things happen, just, just know that it, it, it won't last forever. It will, it will go by. And yeah. um, I like, it made such an impact on me. And so that feeling of sitting together in a community experience and being told like, it's going to be okay. Like, some days will be hard, but they won't all be hard and you know, whatever. And so, so for me, that, that motto, this too shall pass is kind of preloaded with community experience and community support. Not that high school was filled with everybody being so kind and supportive to one another. But in that moment, there was a lot of like huddling together for safety <laughs> and courage. That's and cool. so, yeah, so that. Just in that one little moment of high school that felt, it felt like that. And so that's, that's what I think about when I think about Tulsi. Like, you're not alone. We're going to work through this together. We're going to, we're going to move things. We're going to move through it. We're going to, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. On a physical level, on an emotional level. On a, yeah. I like that. We could also give it a slogan like, uh, like, this will be a memory, you know? And that, that's on nice. the On the one hand, that's like, well, I'm feeling pretty good right now. So this will be a memory at some point. I better enjoy what's happening in this moment. I better be present. Tulsi mm-hmm. can help you do that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this will be a memory like, boy, things really suck and I just got to get through it somehow. But someday this will just be a memory and I'll probably smirk about it. Okay, that's <laughs> nice too. Or, or even this will be a memory because I'm actually going to remember it this time because the Tulsi is going to keep my brain working. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> this works on many levels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's nice. I like it. That could be fun. Yeah. Nice. 
All right, let's talk about Evening Primrose. I love to talk about Evening Primrose because this is a plant that people um, don't consider in the herbal context very often, or if they do, what they think about is just the supplements of the Evening Primrose oil. I always have to remind myself about that because I'll start and be like, yeah, Evening Primrose, let me tell you all about it. And then I'm like, I'm starting to get into my role. I'm like, wait, wait. Okay, so I know that mostly you're only ever going to find seeds and seed oil, and I honestly don't care about any of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's not the part. It's, that's not the part. Whatever, it's fine. Some people seem to like it. Some folks say it helps with their, P- with their style of PMS. Some people say it, it helps with their particular symptom set during menopause, this mm-hmm. and that. You can go to any million other websites about that aspect of evening primrose. Let's tell you about the other parts. The other parts. <laughs> so, uh, wait, before we do... Uh, you're going to get really excited about Evening Primrose as we talk about it. And so I just have to preface this by saying, no, you really can't buy it. Um, unless if one of y'all or some of y'all listening are herb farmers, please plant Evening Primrose. It's so easy. It wants to grow. Um, please plant it because I would really love if this is something that people could purchase. Um, but it's it's not right now. But... It's so easy to grow. Um, now, across the country, there are a few different species. Um, uh, if you don't, if evening primrose won't grow where you are, you could try Missouri primrose that has a little more southerly, um, uh, like, climate zone that it will grow in. But honestly, evening primrose grows pretty far south as well, um, south and north. And then Missouri primrose will go the rest of the way south for you. Mm. Um but any of the of the primroses that have um, the flavor profile that we're going to talk about, if you nibble the leaves and it's it's like a just a little spicy, kind of like spicy lettuce, um, not the same as arugula, spicy, more like more like a peppery cayenne kind of flavor. A little bit of pungency in there, yeah. Yeah, and but at the same time, just a little feeling of okra. Like, so you've got, you've got lettuce with cayenne and okra together. Like if, if that's, and, and it's, it's mild. Both of those are mild, but it's, it's very clear. You will not be like, is this it? I'm not sure. No, it's very clear. You will definitely taste it. Um, so a little, a little slimy, uh, as you chew on the leaf, like you'll start and it'll just be a leaf. And then as you keep chewing, it's like, oh, there's some, some there's slime some happening. velvetiness. There's some sliminess coming out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Not as much slime as aloe vera. No. But like the, just the feeling of like a little bit of coating everywhere in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, but that's the thing is that you, you do have to grow it. Uh, you can sometimes buy seeds for it, but also it's a very distinctive plant. So you can't, I can't show you a picture because this is a podcast and um, unless you're watching on YouTube, you wouldn't be able to see it, but it's okay because if you Google or do any kind of internet search for evening primrose, you'll see the pictures and it's, it's very, very distinctive. Um, and so when you find it, and it's very distinctive through the winter too, mm, yeah. the seed pods uh, that go up the stalk are really not like any other kind of seed pod. And so... If you want to grow eating primrose, all you have to do is get a stalk after the flowers are done, after the, like before the seed pods open or when they're just barely starting to open, but after all the leaves and stuff like that have passed, um, just cut the stalk, 
bring it home, shake it around your garden. You're gonna have plenty of evening primrose and then you'll never run out again because it will self seed itself every year. Um, it doesn't need a lot of maintenance. It doesn't need you to fuss over it. It will grow itself if you just get the seeds to your garden or a bucket. It's fine. It's perfectly happy to grow it's in a fine. bucket. Yeah. Okay. So now we'll tell you all the wonderful things about evening primrose, but um, you're going to be like, where do I get this? This is this is how you get it. It's going to take just a little more effort than than just buying it, but it's it's going to yeah. be so worth it. There might be some Etsy folks that are selling tinctures of evening primrose aerial parts. There might be. Maybe. But, you know. If but, not, and, and you are an Etsy folk, and you have evening primrose, this is an opportunity. Please take it, because people will want it. Yeah. Yeah, we work with evening primroses as tincture. We like it as tea, though, um, in particular. If we if we have a, enough plant material to dry and, and you know, dehydrate and, and store and everything and have that around for tea, we're, we're going to prefer to do that. Mm. Um Tincture might be a little easier to make or, you know, last longer or whatever. But If you don't have a lot, mm, then yeah. you can make more medicine as tincture. Yeah. If you're tincturing it, you can take the entire above the ground part. In fact, we've even put the roots in, yeah. um, you know, wash them. But just chop the whole darn plant up and put it in. So really one plant will make you enough tincture to last through the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True, true. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the flavor tells us stuff, right? So when an herb has that kind of slimy feeling in the mouth as you chew on the leaves, that tells you this is a demulcent plant that's going to have a moistening aspect to it. So that always makes my ears perk up, both because I have a dry constitution myself, <laughs> but also because when we when we talk about herbs, um, it, you get way more drying plants in your Materia Medica than you find moistening plants. Mm-hmm. So you kind of want to pay a little extra attention to them. Um, for all your friends and future cohort who, who may be on the dry side. Um, evening primrose isn't as moistening as like marshmallow, possibly not even so much as sassafras leaf, but it does have uh, a lean in that direction, and that can be really handy. I would definitely put it in the sassafras direction. Level, yeah. I would say that it's as moistening as marshmallow leaf. Ah, okay. I, I think I would. Okay. I think I would. Yeah, but but it's nice, right? It has that, that warm flavor to it. And, you know, we didn't say, but it has a bit of a bitterness to it as well. Maybe that's a little more noticeable on a fresh plant than after it's been dried. When we make tea, I don't usually feel a ton of bitterness. You know, even in the fresh plant, I feel like the bitter is quite mild. It yeah. is, it's a bitter that's easy to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Those fresh leaves, though, they're really good. I like to chew on them when they're in season. Yeah, and that's a perfectly legitimate way to work with this plant is just put it in your salad. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, you were talking about always paying attention when there is a moistening plant. Mm-hmm. Doubly always pay attention when there's a moistening plant that is warming because that is super uncommon. Um, typically, a moistening plant is cooling. It's really uncommon for a, a plant to be both moistening with that real demulcent action and to have warming actions. Of course, you can always yeah. formulate, but it's yeah, cool and then to when have, it comes in one package. Right, and then to have even a small amount of bitter at the same time, that's that's good stuff. That's yeah. like custom-made for your... I mean, if we're doing Ayurveda, then it would be your Vata type, but whatever. Like people who are tense, who are dry, who are a little on the cold side, mm-hmm. and that's not just the way they present in the world as like their personality and their emotional pattern, but also their digestion Tense, cold, and dry. This herb is fantastic. You know, just go graze on those leaves for a while and then come back and you'll be ready for dinner. Or we can make you a nice cup of tea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you prefer. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that also goes along with the mental type as well. So Mm. if you think about what is a dry 
emotional state or a dry mental state um, that's like um, like a tumbleweed in your brain, right? It's hard to get traction on things. Um, it's like very floating away and um air pattern kind of stuff yeah it might be easier to focus on scrolling through twitter than it is to focus on like a detailed tangible project right Mm -hmm. like that would be dryness in the emotional state yeah or even a tendency to be like well i need to uh work on my outline or i need to uh get more of my table data organized properly or i need to do this or that like anything other than the hands-on work the on the ground stuff the in dirt kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh just like always no i need a i need a thirty thousand foot view summary i need a <laughs> i need another dozen perspectives on this to collate <laughs> yeah well and even that like you have maybe you have to write a paper and you won't write the paper because you're like, no, nah, I gotta like search again for more resources, mm-hmm. right? Like, just, like always the the flowing in the air one, and even it doesn't even necessarily have to be tangible work like washing the dishes or whatever. It also could just be like the tangible work of of synthesizing your thoughts and getting them out in complete sentences that make sense to other people. Like, well, like oh, you know what? That's always the tricky one. Yeah. Right, right. Like, oh, you know what? I'll just keep looking for more resources. I'll just keep searching for another study. I'll just, whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. pattern. Yeah. So in a sense, I mean, some of that is what might be described as a grounding activity, um, you know, or a grounding effect or action, mm. you know, on the system uh, from this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like it has that, like we have a trauma crossover here too, right? Because we can think about, I described that dryness in the emotional state and that airy pattern specifically with regard to like productivity or Mm. like moving through your day. But that is also a description of dissociation of like, it's not, it's not safe to be in my body. It's too painful to be in my body. So I'm just going to like move up out of it and just stay in the air above my body. Like my mental self, my emotional self is no longer really in my body. It's kind of like above in the, in the, in the ether above me. Mm. Um, and listen, that is a thing that humans I I don't know, maybe animals do it too. I have no idea. But that humans do to protect themselves, right? Like if you find yourself in that state, there is not anything wrong with you. Like your, your brain, your whatever is trying to protect you. And so that's great. Thanks me. I really appreciate that you are caring for me, but it is not comfortable to live that way for a long period of time. Um, and it also isn't very like efficient to live that way for a long period of time because you're kind of just like a balloon tied to your body in the, and that's just like more layers of having to go through to like get tangible things done in a day. Mm. Um, and so it's just, I, it's not bad. It's just uncomfortable. And mm. so sometimes that happens as a means of protection And then when we recognize it, we may recognize it because of the discomfort. Okay, well, great. But also now 
it's not going to be super comfortable to get back into the body because we've been out for a little while. And like now we're stuck in this place where like nothing is comfortable. It's not comfortable to be out of the body. It's not going to be comfortable to get back into the body. Maybe we have a little anxiety or tension about the idea of even trying to do that. Evening primrose. Yeah. 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 Just softly, gently moving you back in that direction. Like the heat gets that movement going. But then it's like, but don't worry, I'm going to smooth the way for you with the demulsant action, you know, like, yeah. 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 And, you know, when we, when we talk about this um, in terms of like tea and, and that kind of preparation, it's primarily the leaves. When the flowers are there, you absolutely want to include those. Um, if anything, they, they're a little more moistening than the leaves are. Um, you might not put stems into your tea, although like we mentioned in tincture, we'll in tincture, include, yeah. include that as well. Um, it's not always easy to get the flowers because they're night blooming. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get them very early in the morning if you go out to harvest or like if you go out at moonrise that you can usually get them then too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you won't get a lot at a time cause they get, they have fresh flowers every night. And, um, so then like the flowers are tricky if you want to dry them for tea because, you just have a couple, and and so it's challenging, but it's also worth it because it's kind of great. Yeah, yeah, they're really lovely. Um, so far as we've been able to determine uh, after after digging and, and looking, the evening primrose aerial parts are very very safe to work with as well. Um, you will see occasional warnings about evening primrose uh, as an herb or as a supplement. Those are all in reference to the oil, the seed oil preparation. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to see some cautions around like not taking this together with blood thinners or a few other things here and there. Those probably don't apply to the tea uh, or the tincture of this plant. I mean, it's green and leafy and it's going to have some mineral content. So if you're on one of the blood thinners where they, they want you to be very cautious about leafy greens Okay, well, most herbs are leafy greens in that in that case, so maybe we'd be cautious there. But it, it that would be a pretty outside, yeah, ca- like yeah. A, a super conservative kind of caution, right? Yeah, yeah, and that would be the opposite, really, because like in that case, your concern is, do I interfere with the activity of the blood thinner, and now it's a little thicker than it should be? Whereas with the seed oil, it's like, oh, it's going to enhance the activity of the blood thinner and make it even more thin. Right, you right. Know, if you want to make an which error... Which is more dangerous. Right, usually. if you want to make an error, it's better to go in the... Inhibit the blood thinner yeah. than in the make it even thinner yeah. direction. It's better so, to not make an error, but... Well, yeah, we'll proceed with appropriate caution in all circumstances, but, um, you know, I just wanted to say that because uh, this is one case among many where the parts of a plant are substantially different from each other um, in terms of, well, you know, what people take it for and things like that, but also in terms of safety considerations. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately as we're um, uh, refreshing content and uh, filming new content for the Herb Safety and Herb Drug Interactions course. Mm -hmm. And and there I feel like one of the major things that I want to... I want to repeat as often as I have to, (laughs) which is a lot of times, um, is that, you know, statements made about X herb, you know, statements about chamomile, statements about ginseng, statements about evening primrose, they're only helpful uh, at a certain level of granularity and detail. 
and you almost never get it, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, we identified a potential interaction between this drug and this herb. Your next question is what preparation of that herb? Are we talking about something I made at home in my kitchen with herbs I gathered from my backyard? Or are we talking about something that it requires an industrial facility to create? you know, and high temperature, high pressure machines and that kind of stuff, because right. you can have access to either of those in this world. Right. And there's appropriate situations to take one or the other and all that's true. But, um, a lot of times the warnings or the cautions or the drug interactions or whatever about herbs, they're, they're set in a very flat way and they might be completely inaccurate in a more specific instance. You know? Right. Often they refer more to the, um, the more pharmaceuticalized version of the plant, not always, sometimes just outright a cup of tea. I mean, if we're talking about St. John's wort, mm -hmm. yep. the tea is enough to do it. But, um, but often that is not the case. And so, yeah, it is, it is challenging to go through and read the interaction potential and then really think through, okay, what is that potential for a cup of tea versus for, um, like an industrial industrial isolation of a particular constituent in this plant that then might be boosted in a supplement that is standardized to a certain level of that particular isolated constituent, i.e., <laughs> milk thistle capsules that are that are standardized to a certain amount of um, silymarin content, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So just to say. Um, uh, that uh, the seed and the the leaf are not equivalent in this in this herb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, on a, a small aside, um, this is slightly off topic, but it's a connected detour here. So, evening primrose, it's got its own its own botanical family called the Onagraceae, the evening primrose family. And there's another member of there of that group that I wanted to just talk about for a minute. Um, this is one that I. Uh, I find often when I go hang out at Hall's Pond in Brookline, that's a, that's like a piece of Boston. Okay. Don't let the Brookliners hear me say that, <laughs> <laughs> but it's right next to Boston. Yeah, How about it's that? It's where Fenway Park is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's a great little park like tucked right over into there and, um, there's a wooded area and some meadow spots and this and that. Um, and I used to try to identify all the plants over there that I could. And one that I, um, saw a lot was in the evening primrose family and it's called Circaea lutetiana or Circaea canadensis, and its English name is Enchanter's Nightshade. Ooh, that sounds pretty cool, right? Mm. Uh, it turns out this is not a nightshade plant, so okay. <laughs> that's, that's actually good, uh, because many nightshades are not something you want to just nibble on. Right, um, <laughs> right, right, right. Right, right. Um, so this plant, I'm not very sure if it has medicinal qualities. I've looked around a bunch of times, and I've asked a number of other herbalists, and I didn't really find a whole lot, but I have eaten a bunch of leaves, and they do taste pretty good. <laughs> and they, they taste kind of similar to evening primrose, not as pungent, not as slimaceous, but just, just, they're like in that direction, you know? Circaea, mm -hmm. um, the Latin name for this, it includes a reference to Circe, who is a um, hmm, sorceress, a witch, an enchantress, a wise woman. Um, a practicer of magic. A survivor. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah many, that many for sure. Um, from Greek mythology. And we, we both recently read this book, Circe, by Madeline Miller. Uh, oh my goodness. We got a copy at our local library, and it was fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, I particularly loved, and this is about herbs, actually. Mm -hmm. I particularly loved that 
If you read a lot of Greek mythology or Roman mythology, it can feel kind of inaccessible. It can feel mm, stilted or just like it's hard to relate to or like it's hard to find the actual story. You're like, well, I I know the bullet points of what happened, but I I didn't get the story. I don't feel like I have any meat on the whatever. You know, it's it's just bullet points. Like it's like the PowerPoint version of a story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when you read the old mythology, and um, interestingly, this is where it ties into herbs. Herbalism is like that too. A lot of times <laughs> when you read old, and I mean really old herb books, um, it. it there's just a lot of blanks that aren't filled in. There's so much between the lines and you're like, what's in there? I don't know. And I don't even know what I don't know because it's hard for me to access the thought patterns and the language and the relationships that people had with plants. We don't know what context we don't have. <laughs> right. Sometimes we know that we don't have some context and we don't know how to get it. Mm-hmm. But but then also there's a great deal of context that we don't realize we're missing. Mm-hmm. All, all we do is we read it and um, we realize that there are gaps or unfortunately, perhaps we do not realize that there are gaps and we think we now know a bunch of stuff and we go act on it and that's not necessarily as good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when you read this book, Circe by Madeline Miller, this is just outright a telling of the myth. There is nothing. It, it's just the myth, hmm. except it is told in the fullness of the story with all the blanks filled in and all the things they were thinking that they didn't say out loud and all the, you know, all the emotions and all the everything. And and so reading that story really helped me understand like, oh, this is how people were experiencing these stories back then. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course... The way that they wrote it down, none of these stories ever were written down until they were. Like, like for, for generations, they were just oral um, tradition. And they weren't, they weren't told this way. They were told with voices and sound effects and music in the background and like all this stuff. <laughs> they were a whole performance. And what we have when we read the Iliad or whatever is like the notes so that the storytellers won't forget the order of the story and so reading that book and and feeling the fullness of the context made me think constantly about old 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 herb sources and and recognizing that like this fullness is the part that we're missing Mm -hmm. and it's not inaccessible it just takes a great deal of study to be able to recreate well maybe some parts are inaccessible but but some parts are not it just takes a lot of study and also direct experience with the plants to be able to fill in all those gaps. And to me, that is super fascinating. And one of the reasons that herbalism is a lifelong pursuit for me, because it literally can never become boring because there's always more of that stuff to be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple other thoughts around the uh, Enchanter's Nightshade. Um, this is just a bunch of wonderful words associated with this plant, so I hope you'll indulge me a little bit. Um, so when we talk about the edges of leaves, we can give them different descriptors. And the one for this plant is sinuate. It has a sinuate leaf margin, which is to say that it's kind of wavy, but it's wavy like in the flat plane of the leaf, rather than um, like waving up and down above the plane of the leaf. That would be like, like what you get with a yellow dock, right? Curly dock leaf? 
Yes. That has an undulate leaf margin. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, so sinuate is like this. Yeah. Think of and like undulate is like that. Think of like the, the line a snake draws on the soil as right. it moves along. Yeah. Right, right. Um, the even the Enchanter's Nightshade also has these tiny little fluffy burr things that stick to you and they go with you everywhere. Um, <laughs> and the word for seed dispersal from a plant that's enabled by furry animals is is zoochory. Zoochory. Z-O-O-C-H-O-R-Y. And this is from ancient Greek roots zoo, or zoo, animal, and kore, which is for movement. And you can think of choreography, mm-hmm. right? So zoochory is the movement by animals, and uh, that's what those little birds are for. And um, this is specific, I'm going to be even fancier, we, this is epizoochory, as opposed to endozoochory, which is where the animals eat the seeds and then later um, deposit them somewhere else. <laughs> it's like, you know what, like... Okay, we think that plants are so different. We're like, oh, well, I'm a human, and that's a kind of animal. And then there's plants, and that's a totally different thing. But, like, everybody has to worry about, like, where am I going to raise my children? And <laughs> Where are they going to go to college? <laughs> yeah, right? Right? And, and plants have to solve that problem in a different way than humans do. Yeah. Um, because plants can't just pack up their family and move somewhere else where they have better schools. Uh, I mean, also many humans cannot do that either because that's not accessible to all people. Um, so let's just make all schools fantastic, please. But, um, but yeah, they, they have, these are problems that all beings have to solve, not just, you know, how am I going to pay for college that adults worry about, you know, everything? Well, okay. Dogs don't worry about that. No, dogs have to educate their pups. Like every species of living thing has to educate its young and, has to like provide a good nourishing environment for its young to um, grow up in. And plants have to think about that. And different types of plants have solved that problem in different types of ways. And zoochore is one of those ways. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that, that this whole thing of the epizoochore of like having the burrs with the, with the hooks on them or the fuzz or whatever, only about 5% of plants disperse their seeds that way. So that's still, you know, one out of 20. But maybe here's a pop quiz for you, listeners. Can you think of a medicinal plant that gets its seeds around by having burrs stick to you or your dog and take them somewhere else? I can think of so many. We have to give them a second. Okay. They're thinking. Are they done? They're done now. Okay. 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 Well, of course, burdock Burdock, is one of the very first (laughs) ones. Um, But also beggars, tick, bidens. Cleaver seeds? Cleavers. Yep. Uh, Trifola does that, mm. and um, that might not be a plant that you have experienced in the wild, um, but I grew up in a part of Texas that had a plant that had seed pods that were super, super similar to Trifola, like alarmingly similar, and I don't know what that species is, because mm. um, we just always called them stickers, <laughs> and that like that doesn't help me with, with the plant yeah. ID, but um, but super super similar to Trifola, so nice. um, yeah, cool. So I hope you'll pardon the aside. Um, this is not exactly a medicinal plant, at least so far as we know now. But I do think it's fun to learn plant stuff, even if it's not herbalism, quote unquote. <laughs> Whatever it is, still because like just learning about the way that plants live. We spend a lot of time learning about how humans live. Mm. Uh, if you have pets, you spend a lot of time learning about how animals live. Um, but learning about how plants live is actually really critical to understanding how we 
should be in relationship with them and yeah. how to better be in relationship with them. So yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Nice. All right. So um, before we go, uh, I just want to put a little ad in here for our neurological and emotional health course. Uh, these two herbs we talked about today, Tulsi and Evening Primrose, they make a bunch of appearances <laughs> in mm-hmm. that course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, This one is kind of like our user's guide to your emotions. All right. <laughs> um, including the difficult ones and the dark ones and yeah. also how to find or to, to hold on to some of the brighter ones. Yeah. You know, that course also has a user's guide to all the other parts of your neurology as well. So pain management and um, neurological disorders like MS or fibromyalgia or Parkinson's or whatever, because you can't really manage emotional health without managing the health of the nerves themselves but then also we need to manage the health of the neurotransmitters but then also we need to manage the health of all the hormones and then also we did <laughs> and so like there's just a lot of overlap when you think about mental health it can be as simple as you can probably make anybody feel just a little bit better with a nice cup of Tulsi tea and some companionship mm-hmm. it can be that simple but it also can be really complex and you can get all these different factors layered in there. And sometimes when you are dealing with some really intractable, uh, intractable problems, whether that's emotional or, or pain or whatever else, sometimes you need all those layers because you start to realize like, oh, okay, I do need some neurotransmitter maintenance and I also need some nerve cell maintenance and I also need some... Anyway, so all of that is in there. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you get everything that comes with enrollment in any one of our courses, and that includes lifetime access to current and future course material, mm-hmm. uh, twice-weekly live Q&A sessions with us, um, open discussion threads integrated into every lesson. We've got an active student community going on there with lots of free-form talk going on. We've got study guides. We've got quizzes. We've got capstone assignments for you at the end so you can really prove mostly to yourself, that you learned it. <laughs> right? Well, and to us, too, because we're us the too. ones who read them, yeah. and then we have a conversation with you about it and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, certificates for if that's important to you, and yeah, yeah, all that good stuff. So you can check all of that out at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for the podcast this week. We'll be back next time with some more for you. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Drink some tea. Drink some tea. And practice your epizoal choreography. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.